going to grab your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Yesterday I pulled this journal off of a our shelf. I'm not a, a journaler in the sense of writing down my feelings and my thoughts, but uh, I like to write down my prayers sometimes because uh, it helps me to actually pray. Sometimes when I just start thinking my prayers, then I end up thinking about a thousand things that are not prayers. I don't know if that ever happens to you, but it happens to me. So sometimes I write down my prayers, and that's what this journal is filled with, essentially a bunch of prayers from 2004. And 2004 was a kind of a big year for Amanda and I. We went over and took a short-term ministry assignment in northern England. I've told you about that many times, but if this is your first time, essentially what we did was we, we packed up, moved over to England for five months to help jumpstart ministry among teenagers in this small community. And so, you know, this journal, like maybe many of your journals, it starts in January, and January we start to kind of ramp up, raising money, kind of getting our ducks in order so that we could go over and do this job in northern England. And, and it's funny, the prayers that I was praying uh, at the beginning before we actually got over there, they were massive. I mean, they were prayers for widespread revival among the town that we were living in, a spiritual awakening among the teenagers in this community, just a vibrant revival and new life in the church that we would be working in, and just amazing prayers, and I'm, glad, I'm so glad that I prayed those prayers, but uh, then I started reading about what uh, it was like once we actually got there, and some of the prayers that I was praying once we got there, and you know, sometimes they're, they're a little bit different prayers that are before and then prayers that are during. They're not always the same. And uh, So this is what I prayed on um, at the end of March on a Wednesday morning. Wednesday night was our big youth uh, Bible study. That's when we invited every teenager that we knew to come to church uh, to do Bible study together. And, uh, you know, it didn't have much of a vibe because we met in the church nursery, which is just not cool. You know, you're meeting with teenagers and there's like, you know, a, a crib right there. It just doesn't have the vibe that you wanted. But, but we were doing it. We were rocking it. And this is what I prayed after we had been there for two weeks on Wednesday morning before our big Wednesday night Bible study. I pray some people come to Bible study tonight. God, we ask you for more than two in the name of Jesus. And I thought that was hilarious when I read that yesterday. And I also thought that was very real. You know, the big prayers, widespread revival sweeping the nation of spiritual awakening from our little community in northern England. And we get there for two weeks, we realize what it's like, and now we're praying that just more than two show up. And we weren't just praying that more than two showed up. We were praying that more than two would show up in Jesus' name. I mean, we were bringing out the big guns to try to get three people. There's no entry for the next day, so I'm assuming that we still had our two people. There wasn't a big praise report uh, the next day. You know, we actually lost a person at the end of March. We went down to one. A month later, we were up to three. And then, you know, we peaked at seven, which was amazing. Uh, but, you know, those prayers for spiritual awakening, those prayers for revival, none of that happened, at least not when we were there. And if you are a person who prays, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because people who pray are well accustomed to unanswered prayer. It doesn't matter whether this is your first time in church or you've been to church every Sunday your entire life. It doesn't matter whether you consider yourself a good follower of Jesus or you just feel grateful to be in the family of God. Everyone knows what it's like to have unanswered prayer. So what do we do with that? 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is going to show us the way tonight. You remember 2 Corinthians 
The context is so important. The Apostle Paul is, has a tense relationship with the Corinthians. We call this letter the second Corinthians, but it's not the second letter that he has exchanged with them. There have been a lot of letters going back and forth because of this tense, complicated relationship he has with them. And we, we saw last week that some false teachers came into Corinth behind the Apostle Paul after he started kind of gathering up the very first church there in Corinth. Some false teachers came and they preached a different Jesus than the one he had preached. And, and these false teachers, they made a lot of accusations against the Apostle Paul. And we, we talked about those a little bit last week. One of the accusations they were making about Paul was that his ministry was not filled with signs and wonders the way their ministries were. There weren't that many miraculous things happening when Paul was there. But these people, they were claiming that they had great visions and great revelations. And, and so they were telling the Corinthians, you should trust us, you should believe us, you should follow us because of these visions and these revelations. But Paul, he never would talk about those things. And so the last four chapters of 2 Corinthians are essentially a defense of Paul's character and his ministry. And so he's, he's kind of at his wit's end. He's exasperated with the people of, of, of Corinth and the church there. And so he is going to bring up these revelations and these visions as a continued defense of his character and ministry. And this is what it says in chapter 2, verse 12. Or chapter 12, verse 1, excuse me. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he's saying, listen, you want to talk about visions and revelations? Here we go. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now he says, I know a man. We're going to know, uh, see later on in verse 7 that he's actually talking about himself. So Paul's kind of, you know, he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to say it's me, so he's just going to know a guy. You know, everybody knows a guy. Like, hey, I knew a guy, or I knew a lady one time. That's what Paul's doing. I knew a guy, but he's really talking about himself. Who was caught up into the third heaven. Now, in their thinking, the first heaven would have been the sky, you know, where rain comes from, the clouds. The second heaven would have been the stars, the universe, what we would know as the universe. And the third heaven is the realm of God. And so he's saying that he was caught up into the third heaven, into the realm of God. And look what he says next. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. So he's saying, I don't know if it was a vision or if I really went into God's realm with my body. But it doesn't matter because God knows. Verse 3, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jump back to verse 7. 
So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now we know from 1 Corinthians that the people of Corinth, the church there, they were a people who were well acquainted with the supernatural. When you read 1 Corinthians, you can see that these God-ordained and God-empowered things were happening. Like they were speaking in tongues, meaning they were praying in this heavenly language that wasn't English, it wasn't some other language. And Paul, he writes to them in 1 Corinthians, not to get them to stop doing that, but to give them a framework, an order, so that it would occur in a way that would benefit everybody. They're prophesying there. The men are prophesying, the women are prophesying. Again, he writes to them not to get them to stop prophesying, but to give them a framework so that their prophecy would be in order. It would benefit everybody. He refers in 1 Corinthians to a spiritual gift of healing, meaning that in Corinth there were people, if you were sick, you could go to them and God had given them a gift that they could pray for you and you would be healed. Again, he doesn't ask them to stop doing this. He gives them a framework, some order, so that it would happen in a way that benefits everybody and represents Jesus well. These are people who are well accustomed to supernatural things. So here in 2 Corinthians, you can imagine them reading this letter out loud, and they hear that Paul has a a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, and it's afflicting him. And so he prays three times. Now the Corinthians, they're, they're well acquainted with supernatural things, so they're thinking, oh yeah, here it comes. This messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh, it's come to Paul, but he's prayed three times. So they're waiting for, and I was healed, and it went away, and the big moment, God intervened. But that's not what it says. Look what it says, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It didn't happen. Paul's prayer that this thorn in his flesh would go away, it went unanswered. He didn't get the very thing that he was asking for. See, no one is immune from silence from heaven. All of us know what it's like to have prayers that are unanswered. So really the first question that we need to start with tonight as we walk into unanswered prayer is, are we even praying? Now let's take away meals because I'm guessing that most of us, you know, pray at our meals, but let's take away our meals. Let's just say, outside of your food, when do you pray? You know the people who pray super long at mealtime? Man, aren't they the worst? They're just the worst, those people who pray. Sometimes I will say to a person after they've prayed a really long time, well, when we sit down to dinner, so you haven't prayed much lately, huh? Because it felt like you were having to catch up on something there. You know, we just came to eat. You came to get right with God. You can do that back in your car. Before, after dinner would have been fine. We came to eat, not to pray. So let's take meals out of it. Outside of long prayers at meals, when do you pray? And let's take our children out of it, because I'm guessing that many of us, you know, we want to raise children. If you have children who, who, who are raised in a praying family, and so maybe you get down on your knees with your son or your daughter at bedtime, but let's take that out, because some, it's, it's easy to, to be a, a house that prays without actually ever praying. When do you pray? When do you dialogue with God? When do you pour out your heart? When do you pour out your mind? When do you stop and still your heart and still your mind to, to hear from heaven? When do you pray? I think the reality is, is that most of us are not praying. 
We like Jesus. We're following Jesus. We're good, well-behaved Christians. But we, we don't pray. And maybe a, a lot of us think we have a lot of unanswered prayer. But the reality is, is maybe we just don't pray. You can't have unanswered prayer if you don't pray. But if you are a person who does pray, then there will be moments and requests that go unanswered. Now, there are a couple of things always in the mix when it comes to unanswered prayer. The first thing you have to remember is that we live in a broken world that's tainted and twisted up by sin. This creation is broken. Humanity is broken. The system of this world is broken. And at that brokenness, we will experience pain. We will experience tragedy. We will experience loss. And sometimes when our prayers go unanswered, when we don't get the answer that we're looking for, it's because just the natural consequences of living in a broken world are playing themselves out. We see that in the scripture with John the Baptist. Do you remember him? John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. His job was to be the prophet who prepared everybody for Jesus to come. John did his job amazingly. In fact, he did his job perfectly. But John said the right thing to the wrong person and he ended up in prison. One of the Herod kings was upset with him because of some of the things that John was saying against him. And so John ends up in prison. And while John is in prison, Jesus' ministry kind of begins to, to rise up and he begins to become popular and influential and and yet John is still in prison. And so John sends word back to Jesus through some of his followers. And he, he asks Jesus, hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Because I've been telling everybody that you were the Messiah. But I'm thinking if my job was to tell everybody that the Messiah was coming and identify you as the Messiah, and I did my job right, and you're doing your job right, I don't understand why I'm still in prison. And, and Jesus sends word back to him that essentially says, I am the Messiah, but you're not getting out of here. And John loses his life in prison. Why? Because of the brokenness of humanity, the brokenness of King Herod, the brokenness of Herod's mistress, which caused John to lose his life. Could Jesus have intervened? Absolutely. But what was in play was the brokenness of this world. And that's always in the mix when it comes to unanswered prayer. What other thing that's in the mix is sometimes the prayers that we pray, they're just not good for us. That if we got what we wanted, it would not be good for us. I read through a bunch of my journals yesterday because I was kind of self-obsessed and in a reflective mood, and I think it's very healthy to just think about yourself and all, all the time. And, and so I'm reading back through journals, which is, is really humbling because you're, you're like, I can't believe that I thought that and said that and prayed that. Uh, but what I learned yesterday is essentially I am the same person. I've been the same person for the last 10 or 12 years. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because in one sense I can say, I'm still the same. I haven't changed. And in another sense, Amanda could say, he's still the same. He hasn't changed. You know, just the same. And what I realized is that right now, this moment in my life, I'm doing exactly what I feel like God made me to do. I feel like God made me to start a church like this. I feel like God made me to lead a church like this. But I have always wanted to do this. Ten, the, my journals that are 10 years old, I was reading them yesterday. Essentially what I was longing for was to do the same thing that I'm doing now. And I was consistently praying that this kind of thing, and I didn't have the words or the, the vision for it, but this kind of thing would come to pass for me. But it never did. I had to wait 10 years, 12 years. Why? Because if God had answered my prayers, then it would not have been good for me. I wasn't ready for something like that. I wasn't qualified for something like that. I didn't have the maturity to do that. It would not have been good. 
See, God may not be answering your prayers now, not because they're not the right prayers, because they may be the right prayers, it just may be the wrong time. You may just have to keep enduring in prayer and keep on praying. And what's good for you is always in the mix when it comes to unanswered prayer. The other thing that's in the mix is what's good for everybody else, what's good for the bigger picture. See, we live in this very small picture, our lives, what we can see. And sometimes we think about other people's lives as we bump into them. But we're not thinking about how our lives are connected to somebody who's living in Europe right now and how their lives is connected to somebody who's living in China right now and how somebody's life in China is connected to somebody else's life in Australia right now and, and how it's all tied together. We're not thinking about those things because that's too marvelous for us to comprehend. But God is thinking about all those things. When we can just see the small picture, He can see the big picture. And sometimes if God would answer our, picture, our prayers in our small picture, it would not be good for the bigger picture. We see this in the scripture with Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was the favored son of the patriarch Jacob. And Jacob, he makes this nice coat for Joseph, a, a coat of many colors, and he puts it on Joseph, and he, and he parades him around in front of everybody. This is my son. I love my son so much. Well, the problem was Jacob had a lot of other sons, and those other sons didn't appreciate that their father was favoring this one son, and they, so they did what people do after years of bitterness and jealousy are stored up. They punished Joseph. They sold him into slavery. So Joseph goes down to Egypt as a slave. And he's sold into a house as a slave. And in that house, he's falsely accused. And as a slave, he's thrown into prison. And he spends a long, long time in prison. Eventually, God raises him up out of prison and gives him the second most powerful position in Egypt, which would have made him the second most powerful man in the world at that time. And through a vision and through an understanding that God had given Joseph, there's this famine that's coming to, to Egypt, but through that vision, Joseph knows how to work around the famine, how to store up. And because of Joseph, the whole nation of Egypt is saved during this famine. And not just the nation of Egypt, Joseph's family back in Israel that experienced that famine, they come down to Egypt and are saved. But think about how many unanswered prayers Joseph probably prayed as he's coming down to Egypt as a slave, as he's in the house as a slave, when he's falsely accused, when he's in prison for all those year, years, how many times did he ask to be released? How many times did he ask God to free him when he was totally innocent of the crime that he had been accused of? And yet his unanswered prayers were a benefit to a whole nation, to a whole people. And sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because he's looking out for the bigger picture not just our smaller pictures. And those three things are always in the mix when it comes to unanswered prayers. But Paul is going to show us that some good things can come from unanswered prayer. Look at verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. So Paul says because he was receiving these amazing, amazing visions, because he was caught up into the third heaven, because he was able to, to see into God's realm and hear the things that happen in God's realm, a thorn in his flesh 
was given to him. And we don't know what that thorn is. People give their whole lives to try to figure it out. It was most likely some kind of physical affliction that uh, was a constant nagging source of pain to the Apostle Paul. And it says three times he prayed that it would go away, but it doesn't. Jesus says, my, my grace is sufficient for you. And why does he say that he was given that thorn? And why did that thorn remain? So that he didn't become conceited. See, humility can come from unanswered prayer. If we were able to, we would order our lives so that we never heard the word no. Because isn't the word no the worst? Right? Isn't that why most of us want to accumulate wealth? So that we can accumulate power, so that we never have to hear the word no. I'm guessing most of us, you know, we don't care about super huge mansions. Now, if, you know, we got the choice, maybe that would be awesome. But that's not why you want more money in your bank account. And and most of us don't care about yachts or exotic vacations. Uh, Most of us would just like more power in our lives so that, you know, people wouldn't tell us no. But that's not good for us, right? Have you ever been a child, uh, around a child who, who doesn't hear the word no? Do you enjoy being around that child? No, that child is the worst. And you want to discipline them in the way that you think discipline should come to a child like that, which obviously their parents are not doing for them. No one wants to be around a child who never hears hears the word no. But yet somehow when we grow into adulthood, we think somehow we would be able to handle not ever hearing the word no. But it's not true. It's not good for us to get what we want, when we want it, every time that we want it. Because when you overindulge your own desires, it grieves the Holy Spirit inside of you. Because the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ living inside of us. And what is the way of Christ? The way of Christ is self-denial. So when you have a day or a week or a month or a year or a lifetime of just doing what you want, when you want it, how you want it, just overindulging your desires, it makes your heart sick. Because that's not what the Spirit of God inside of you wants to happen. Because it's the Spirit of Christ. And the way of Christ is not overindulging our own desires. It's a way of self-denial. It's not good for us to get what we want all the time. And so unanswered prayer has a way of reminding us, I am not the leader in this relationship with God. I am not the Lord of this relationship. I am the subject. I am the follower. And it can reorder the way that our relationship with God works. Now, we want to make sure that we don't take this too far to begin to think that everything that bad that happens to us, the pain and loss in our life is just God's way of just teaching us a lesson. That has worked its way into some of our thinking. Some of you have experienced pain and you've blamed that pain on, you know, God is trying to teach you something. But it's important for us to remember that God does not magically make evil things good things. You know, it's like Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery. That was an evil thing that happened to him. And it is still an evil thing that happened to him today. Something good came from it. A nation was saved. But it didn't make it right that Joseph was sold into slavery. If you've experienced evil at the hands of someone else, it's still evil. Loss is loss. Tragedy is tragedy. Pain is pain. But here's the power of God. And here's the mercy and grace of God. That that evil seed, that seed of loss can go into the ground. And it is still a seed of loss. But by the power of God, it can bear good fruit. 
something good can come from what is bad. But if we just think that everything that bad that happens to us, every tragedy that we experience is just God trying to teach us a lesson, what does that turn Him into? Is He a father? No, He's just a cruel, heartless, cold instructor. But He's not like that. He can take something bad and bear good fruit from it. That's what's happening here to the Apostle Paul. This thorn in the flesh, it's not good. And if you gave Paul the choice, even after Christ said, I'm sufficient for you, if you gave Paul the choice to, for that thorn, that physical affliction probably to be taken away from him, he would choose for it to be taken away. But here he's listing some good things that happen because of it. And humility is one of those good things. Then look at verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Unanswered prayer allows us to see the power of God. Now, that doesn't sound right, does it? Because most of us would think that we would see the power of God when He intervenes in our situation. When He answers our prayer, that's where the power of God is. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that even in his unanswered prayer, he was going to experience the power of God. Because that's the the great thing about prayer. No matter what happens, when you pray, you will experience the power of God. You will experience the power of God in His intervention, or you will experience the power of God in His sustaining you through whatever it is that you have not received through prayer. I mean, Paul here in this section... And this defense he's making against these false teachers, he's boasting a lot. But he's not doing the kind of boasting that, you know, you and I would do where he's really playing himself up. He's boasting about his weaknesses. And that was his badge of of honor, his credibility before the Corinthian church. Not the great things that he accomplished, but his weaknesses. I want you to turn just a page to the left to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He's going to list out his spiritual resume here for us. This is what it says in verse 22. Are they, talking about these false teachers, Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Can you imagine saying that? Like, hey, uh, honey, I know that we're married, but I just want you to know that I am a better follower of Jesus than you. No, that's not going to go over well. But Paul can get away with it. But even he knows that it's probably not right to say something like that because what does he say next? I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments. This is him proving that he's a better servant of Christ than these false teachers. With countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and experience. Exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? 
Verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So when Paul goes to brag and boast about the power of God, what does he boast in? Does he boast in how God has kept him from all these things? Because if you listed out this list as uh, a description of your life, we are all going to feel sorry for you. In fact, most of us would beg God that he would never let us see this kind of list. And yet Paul is not saying, hey, listen, I've sailed on 40 different ships and not one of them have ever gone down. God is with me. I've went and preached the gospel in a bunch of different places and hostile places and no one has ever, has ever you know, raised an eyebrow at me. They've just let me do whatever I want to do. They want, let me come and preach Christ. Is that what he says? No. He says, the way that I know God is with me is because of all these things that have happened to me. See, this is his testimony of the power of God. Not that God kept him from all these things, but that God has sustained him through all these things. That he was floating in the sea for a night and a day. And God sustained him so that he could continue to preach the gospel. See, we would have God rescue us from the things that might make us the most credible to the people around us. And many of us are waiting to give testimony to the power of God for some kind of miracle to happen to us. Come some kind of supernatural, out of the ordinary intervention. When all you have to ask yourself is, has God brought you this far? Do you still have your faith? Then you have experienced the power of God. He has sustained you through unanswered prayer. Then verse 10. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So he says he's content. And we get the feeling here that Paul is no longer asking for that thorn in the flesh to be removed from him. Now we need to understand that this is not the same as Paul giving up. This is something different because we shouldn't give up in prayer. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. This is what Jesus is said about Jesus. And after he told them a parable to this effect, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So here Jesus is, is teaching his disciples that they should pray and that when they pray, they should not give up. They should be persistent. And if you've been around a child lately, then you know persistence, which is ironic because who is God? He is our father and we are his children. My son, Jackson, he is the very definition of persistent. Uh, he never gives up. And the thing that he is most awfully, often uh, trying to uh, wear us down is to let us play 
uh, the games on our phone. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you have kids, but if you've been around kids and they're just, they need to play the games on the phone. And, you know, we try to be good parents and not let, let them play video games all the time. But sometimes we're in situations where it's like, here, you can play. And so he's just always asking to play games. It's over and over and over again. And he just wear you down. Our daughter, Annabeth, you know, she's four. She's more of just a doer. And so if you say no to her, then she's going to figure out a way to accomplish what it is she wants to accomplish. You know, she's going to, you know, take the phone and she's going to hide behind something and then you're going to catch her and then she'll smile like she didn't know it was wrong, but she was hiding. So she obviously knew it was wrong. But, but Jackson, he'll just keep asking and asking and asking and asking and asking. In fact, last week, uh, Jackson came into one of our services here uh, in the, in big church and uh, he sat next to Amanda on the front row and after church was over, I was like, how'd Jackson do? And she said he was awful, he was terrible. He's doing acrobatics in, in the front row of the seats. And, you know, he never wants to talk, but all he could, you know, do was talk there. And so it's going to be a while for, before Brother Jackson joins us again in one of the main worship services. So after I finished preaching, you know, we transition into our time of prayer as we do every week. And people are starting to come forward to pray. And I go and sit down in the front row. And Jackson leans over to me. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm looking forward to the day when my son, you know, leans over after I preach and he's just says, man, dad, that was, that was, that was great. And just, man, that was awesome. And I'm so proud to be your son and just honored, you know, to be your son. You know, I'm, I'm just looking for that one day. No, I'm not expecting that now. I'm not laying a lot of expectations on him. You know, he's seven, but he leans over to me and I've been down. And he goes, phone. (laughs) Are you kidding me? In the front row, I just preach my guts out, and that's what you have to say to me? Phone. It's persistent. And look what Jesus does here for us. He gives us permission to ask and never stop asking. Who else would give you that permission? I mean, is your boss gonna give you permission to come in day after day after day after day and ask for a raise? No, if you're under your parents' authority now, are your parents gonna allow you to come day after day after day after day asking for more allowance? No. Who else is going to give you an unending invitation to ask? No one, but Jesus does. Keep on asking. Never stop asking. See, the question for most of us tonight is not, do you have the faith to ask? It's, do you have the faith to endure? Because many times... What you are asking for is not going to come the first time or the second time or the third time or maybe not even the hundredth time you ask. But will you believe enough to keep on asking? To never give up? See, when you pray, you should pray until you get what it is that you want. Or until you get peace about not getting. Because prayer is not just the place that we go to ask for things. Prayer is the place that we go to learn what to ask for. And when you pray, two things will happen. You'll either get what you're asking for, or you will get peace 
about not getting what you're asking for. A supernatural peace that passes all understanding that maybe you're the only person in the world who gets. If you will keep on asking and not give up. Paul didn't give up. Jesus comes to him in prayer and says, my grace is sufficient for you. And you should pray until you get what it is that your heart desires or until you know that the grace of Jesus is sufficient for you. You know, the scary thing about unanswered prayer is that it it makes us wonder about how God feels about us in the moment. Is, Is God mad at me? Does he not approve of me? Am I not being righteous enough? Am I not being godly enough? Do I need to do more in his kingdom so that he'll hear this request? One author I read said, unanswered prayer is like God stopping the car, us getting out and him driving on. And it does feel like that, doesn't it? Like God is on to other things and you have been left behind. That's the scary thing about unanswered prayer. How does God feel about me? I'm thankful for the word of God because it is always reminding us how God feels about us. I want you to take your Bible and turn just a few pages to the right to Luke chapter 22. In the scripture, we see that God, he feels things with us. When you experience pain, he also experiences pain. John chapter 11, Jesus is standing outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus. But he doesn't weep over his own relationship with Lazarus. Jesus begins to weep when he sees that other people around him, the other friends and family members of Lazarus, they are weeping. And when they hurt, Jesus hurt and he wept. In Isaiah chapter 63, it says, when the people of God were afflicted, then God himself was afflicted. In Romans chapter 8, it says that when you and I, when we need to pray, when we need to make a big request, but it's such a huge request that we don't even have words to say. It says that the Holy Spirit, He intercedes with us with groanings. So if you are in a season of unanswered prayer, and you are experiencing pain, then you can know that God is with you in pain. That He's not cold and He's not distant. We see that in the scripture. And then we see something else here. Verse 39 of Luke chapter 22. And He came out and He went, as was His custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed Him. And when He came to the place, He said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is Jesus. This is moments before he's arrested and he's in the garden of Gethsemane he's praying he's praying all alone and imagine the the cosmic expectations which have been laid on his shoulders as he takes your sin and my sin on his back with the cross ahead of him with a night of 
betrayal and arrest and beatings. It says he's in such agony that he's, he's praying so hard that he's actually sweating drops of blood. He's all alone. An angel has to come to strengthen him. And what is he praying in the midst of this agony? Take this cup from me. Meaning, take the cross from me. I don't want to do the cross. I don't want to do the beatings. I don't want to do the thorns in my flesh if I don't have to. Take this cup from me. But God does not answer his prayer. And Jesus has to drink the cup. Why? Because God demonstrated his great love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you are in a season of unanswered prayer and you are wondering about how God feels about you, steady yourself by reminding yourself of Jesus' unanswered prayer. Remember the cross. The cross tells us everything that we need to know about how God feels about us, whether He is answering our prayers in this moment or answers have yet to come. We can be steady by the cross, by the unanswered prayer of Jesus. And so in that spirit tonight,